This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by GoGo's Bootcamp. Are you a real estate agent looking for the best social media training program on the planet? GoGo Bethke is considered the top Instagram realtor in the country, and her step-by-step training program will take your social media game to the next level. She's so confident there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. Keeping It Real listeners receive a special discount, so please visit gogopodcast.com. That's G-O-G-O podcast.com for your special discount. And now on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris. I am your guide and host through the show. And today, in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with Lawrence Dunning. Before we get to Lawrence, I want to remind everyone to think of a real estate professional that you know that could benefit from hearing these interviews with top 1% producers and pass along the podcast. How do you do that? Couple of ways. Number one, send them our uh, website, which is keepingitrealpod.com. Even if they're not podcast people, they can listen right on our website to every episode we've ever done. Also, if everyone could rate us on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify, whatever podcast directory and app you use, give us a rating. Let us know what you think about the show. That helps our visibility as well. And lastly, guys, please follow us on Facebook. We can find us at facebook.com forward slash keeping it real pod. Why? Well, not only do we post all of our episodes, but we do behind the scenes live video recordings. So if you want to watch me record an episode in real time and not wait a couple weeks for that's what it, how long it takes us to produce the episode before you can hear the audio, you want to watch it live as we're doing it. We do it right there on Facebook. And we also post an article to Uh, every single day that we find online dedicated to helping you grow your business. So we try to provide so much value on that Facebook page that you're going to love it. So follow us again, facebook.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And now on to our interview with Lawrence Dunning. Hey, today on the show, we have Lawrence Dunning from Main Street Real Estate Group. Uh, Lawrence was born in uh, the UK, in London. He graduated with an MBA in finance, eventually settling in Chicago. Uh, At age 24, he set up his own trading company, which he ran for the next seven years. Uh, At age 30, he decided to step away from business to pursue uh, some athletic goals. Actually spent five years uh, doing just that. Uh, In particular, he has done MMA fights. He's done 10 professional MMA fights, has his uh, black belt in jujitsu, a number of other um, accomplishments physically as well. Uh, And then he's become convinced during that time about the real estate investing model. And he bought his first investment property, which was a commercial strip mall, got his broker's license five years ago, and has been a top 1% producer for the last three years, which is an incredible feat to do that quickly. Uh, and he's used the same principles that to build both a successful trading company and now a successful real estate broker business. So uh, we're excited to have him on the show. This is a real treat for us. Welcome to the show, Lawrence. Awesome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Thank you. Um, I would love to, to learn about how you made the switch um, from being a trader and having that company, you know, into real estate. Why the switch? Obviously, Chicago is a huge trading market, as you know. Um, yes. but, but why the switch? I, I know a ton of traders that have done that. So I'm really curious to know um, how you got in, uh, involved. Well, so trading was just such a, it's such a lucrative business. And uh, the, like you said, the Chicago market is just sort of one of the epicenters of, I was an option trader. So one of the top, you know, uh, option trading centers in the world. And so I was, I was trading and actually I got to credit my, uh, my mentor and good friend, Mo, who owns my company. He and I met um, over a decade ago and we both had dogs and we would, we both on a kind of a late schedule. So we'd be out walking our dogs and we'd just be talking. And so Mo would always be talking about, oh, there's so much money in flips and things like that. And this is, this is a decade plus ago, a long time ago, but we never, we never really got going on the flips, but then he, uh, I, I stepped away from trading. Um, I was, you know, in the pit trading for, for a while, but when I, when I stepped away and I was kind of focusing on some personal goals, um, I would still trade a bit online and I was still, you know, trying to make money. And then the whole, it's so interesting because you assume, or at least I did when I was young, if you're doing something and you're, you're good at it, you're going to be able to make money by doing that for, you know, for the foreseeable future. But I didn't, you know, high frequency trading came and, and there's very, very few people that I knew back in the pit that are still trading. It's just, it's such a tough business now. So the, al the algorithms took over and exactly. Yeah. So I was kind of finding that, but I was still kind of struggling, trying to make a bit of money. And then, um, Mo was, a, who was a broker at the time was like, you know, what about, we started talking about just investing in real estate. So the first thing I did in real estate wise, aside from buying my condo, when I first moved here was I bought this commercial property. And then as an owner, and a landlord, I really started to learn about the business model. And I think what I really want to kind of explain to people is I thought I knew about money and finance. So I come from a, you know, I have an MBA, like you said. And you and, do know about money and finance, right? Like right, that's but, the trading, but I, the trader's background. But exactly. <laughs> but what, what's so crazy is I think there was a huge blind spot I had. And I really think, because when I look back, I think, man, I'm not, not a lot of people have, you know, a good, a good degree and then they start work and they don't really, you know, they're not really that curious about learning or anything, but I've been, I've been obsessively um, reading and learning since I was a kid. So I think, man, I had, not only do I have an MBA, so I have the, the, um, the degree, which I think in practical purposes is kind of worthless personally, but I also, <laughs> also read, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of books on finance and um, entrepreneurship and, and reading about these, you know, these really high achievers. And I think through all of that knowledge, the real estate model, it, it barely was mentioned. So I only kind of found out about that from a practical perspective and largely thanks to Mo, like I said. And then the more I learned and the more I tried, like, like if, even if you, if you said to me, hey, what's a great book to read for real estate investing? I, I could give you one or two that are okay, but they're still not great. There's not really, there's not really something out there because it's just, it, the problem is, is it's so specific. You know, right. if I, if I was going to write, a, I'm actually, I do want to write a little ebook on real estate investing in Chicago, but I'm not going to pretend to know about other cities and I'm not even going to think about other countries. And even in Chicago, you know, you're so specific, this street, that street, this type of building, that type of building, everything is so different. I think that's why people just don't talk about it. You know, they have this, when you do, when you do, when you study finance, there's this cookie cutter thing. They say, okay, if you're young, you want to put 70% of your money in stocks, right. 25 in bonds and 5% cash. And then as you get older, you're just switching the ratios. Right. The, no one, no one talks about investing in real estate because they don't really know how, you know, it, it most of these programs are very uniform. So you've got the same MBA program in Shanghai, in London, in New York, you know, in Sydney. And 
and you can teach the same principles with stocks. Anyone can open up an E-Trade account and trade the same things, but it's with, with real estate, you really need somebody on the ground who's just a master at a certain area. And even he doesn't know more, much more about, about anything else, but just his area he's focused on. So I think, sure. I think it's just so interesting that uh, kind of coming to this realization that the long way around, I guess. So, yeah, uh, so go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, so, so once, once I started, so it was all kind of happening at the same time. So I bought this property. I saw I was making good money, uh, income from the property and then trading was getting tougher and tougher. And then I was at a crossroads where I, w I was just thinking, there's no point letting go of trading was very, very hard for me to do because you know, I, I made in a day what I in trading, what I made in my first year of real estate, you know, where sure. else can you make that crazy money? But the problem is, if you can make it that easily, you can also lose it that, that easily. So by letting that, that was a very tough mentally bridge to, to, to overcome. But I just, I was so convinced with the real estate model and that I, I kind of had an idea that trading wasn't going to come back. It was just going to get harder and harder to make money that I decided if I was going to be a real estate investor, I should, I should get my license and I should just learn more. I should be on the ground and I should really learn the city. And so that's basically what I've done the last, you know, six years is um, I've just been trying to, um, I, I'm, I do what, what pretty much what every broker does, successful broker, but I've also kind of focused a lot of my business on the investing side because that's more of my passion. And it's not, it's not that I went into this trying to find a niche, the niche almost found me. So I just had a huge coughing attack. So we just, uh, we had to pause for a moment. So apologize uh, for the, for how, uh, disjointed this probably seems, but I think that's really important. And I bet you also as now a broker are probably also really, and it seems to be because we've had, and I know that you're not just an investor, you're a traditional broker, you work with buyers and sellers, renters, but also investors and you yourself are also an investor. And I'm, I'm always shocked at how many realtors do not service the, the investment market and also aren't investors themselves. And I, I imagine that blows your mind as well. And I know that's a huge passion of yours is making sure that people understand residual income and, and, and why uh, real estate investing can work. Um, and and exactly. yeah, and why it's, you know, the, the uber richer, of course, uh, as, as you were, uh, have explained to me, uber richer are doing that. Um, but it's amazing how many brokers themselves really aren't that skilled at knowing about investments. Right. And I think, but I think that's a problem with, um, I see this with a lot of new agents is they, they're kind of, they're kind of scared to do everything. And I think the principles of real estate apply to, apply to everything. So I get, I get questions sometimes, Oh, do you do commercial real estate? Do you do this? Do you do that? I, I do everything, you know, I'll help a friend get a rental. I'll help, um, you know, multi-million million dollar investment property for, you know, commercial property, regular two to four unit property, a condo, it's all the same. The principles underlying real estate is all the same. So I think people need to stop being worried about a commercial property, you know, residential. It's, of course, there's a few subtleties, but the principles are the same. Um, but I think there's, there's some statistic, I don't know the exact, is it 45,000 licensed agents in Illinois? And there's some huge amount of them that don't even own the home they live in. And then, you know, the, the ones that obviously own the home they live in, a lot of them don't have investment properties. So it's definitely easier for me to deal with investors because I can explain, you know, that, oh, you know, this building is like, you know, like the building I bought last year. And, and the reason I bought it is because of X, Y, Z. That's why it will be a good investment. So I definitely have that going for me. It's a bit easier for me to explain, but, but again, this, this stuff is not, 
it's not rocket science. You know, it's pretty straightforward with investing. Once you once you know the, the formulas, you know, to, to analyze these ratios, you know, the cash on cash return, the cap rates, and things like that. Yeah, it is always remarkable to me that brokers will even become top producers in traditional buyers and seller environment. And then the moment an investor uh, comes to them, they're really not able to service that. And that's okay if they actively choose not to service the investor market because it is a different clientele. Um, it, yeah. It's just a, a different a process altogether. But I right. suspect a lot of times it's just because they haven't put the time in to really understand uh, what an investor's needs are, how that process works. And it, it takes years uh, to, under, yes. to get that knowledge. Um, but it's also something that you can start today. And then yes. a year or two from now, wow, the ability to be able to provide those services are, are so important because otherwise you're going to be turning away business. And again, if you choose to turn it away because you don't have time, that's great. But I think it's a lot of times just lack of knowledge. Right. And I think that's a great point because the the market, especially in Chicago, we've basically had a decade plus run of very stable and slow and steady growth with the stock market's done great the last 10 years minus the last two weeks. <laughs> but the, the, um, the, the agents today are spoiled, right? A lot of them haven't lived through the last recession. They haven't seen, so when business is good, I guess you don't have to take all the business. You can kind of pick and choose. But we are in something, I mean, there was a great graph that I put on my LinkedIn a few days ago. We've, we've had five decades of interest rates coming down. So it, I think the foreseeable future, we're going we're gonna to stay in this low interest rate environment. And the, the big thing with that is, if you have money, in my opinion, you only have two options because bonds just doesn't pay you anything. You know, right. precious metals aren't really going anywhere. Cash, you're eroding inflation every day. So the only, the only options are stocks and real estate. And the thing with the stock market is at some point, um, you know, even before the last few weeks, I was saying, listen, I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some right. point you, you don't have these 10 plus years of unbroken yeah. runs, you, you know? So I think that it's, it is important if, if, if you're, if you're dealing with people with money to educate them on the real estate investment model, because it's, it, that for me is the only good alternative to stocks. And I think it's way like, I don't own, I barely have any stocks. I have a, a few um, lingering in one of my trading accounts, but it, in the thing with the stock market, this, the, the big difference I think with the stock market and the real estate market is, and it's very hard to even talk about this with you because like we said at the beginning of the show, am I talking about the stock market, the, the luxury condo market in Manhattan? Am I talking about multi-units in Chicago? Or am I talking about single family homes in you know LA suburbs? It's all different, right? So when I throw out these statistics, they obviously are averages in general, uh, the generalizations, but I think with there's, um, there's something like a quarter of the volatility in the real estate market that there is in the stock market. And I mean, you've seen that yeah. with this, this last few weeks It's kind of shown some of the frothiness and the volatility of when, when, when there's fears, I don't have, you know, I don't have an $800,000 condo suddenly selling for 600 in the last two weeks. You know, it's not, it's not the same. Right. So I think that, you, I think your, your volatility with the right building is less, but also I think that the big thing that, that people, people just, with stocks, I guess you have two things, right? You have the, the appreciation and you have dividends, but we've been in an environment where the dividends is, is relatively low for most stocks. Right. The big, the big thing with, when, when I talk about the right type of real estate, your cash on cash return should be close to, if, if not double figures, double digits a year, it should be close to that. So maybe it's 8%, maybe it's 10%, but that's, 
Oh, well, that's the thing too. And, and I mean, look, you know, last year, you know, my index funds were up 30% because they, right. you know, the, the market was up and that's a great year. However, uh, I would trade the volatility of that for a seven to 9% return uh, right. year after year, because I know, and, and I've always felt this way about money that the, the best way that I can grow my income is by working. And then I just want a more traditional, you know, a traditional return that's not necessarily guaranteed, but that has a lower volatility because that is something I can't control. Um, so right. I would trade the 30% returns uh, for like a 10% averaged return over time um, in a less volatile environment, which would be uh, real estate investing, if, if right. done correctly. Exactly. But that's a great point. So you 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 highlighted the volatility most especially when when you're young you know you, you don't mind the volatility i'm 40 now i don't really want crazy volatility but that's only one half so to use your example if you made 30% last year on on your stock portfolio you had a great year and you only made 10% on your real estate the bit the, the big difference between the real estate is your you're buying it typically as an investor with 25% down. And right. if real estate is averaging, even through the, the, the biggest, um, you know, 2008, 2010, that was the biggest real estate correction we've had in a century. Even through that, you're averaging about 5% return a year through real estate. Now, because you're only buying with a quarter down, that 5% is actually 20% on real money. So right. then, then that's when you start making big money. You have the 10% cash on cash return. You have the 20% because of the leverage in a very 4 to 5% appreciation period. And then on top of both of those, every month you're paying down your debt. So your, your equity is increasing. And then on top of all of that, you have all these tax benefits. So when you put that all together, a slow and steady um, you know, market that's increasing 4 to 5% a year, your cash and cash return of the right property is closer to 30, 33%, then you're doubling your money every three years. So that's kind of why, in a nutshell, real estate is the secret of the, the ultra rich. And, and I really would love to point out that these are conversations you have with your traditional clients as well. Your traditional right. primary residents, buyers and sellers, you, you know, you have this knowledge, you have this passion for it, and it works for you personally. And I just right. think how much more powerful and, and important does that make you to your clients versus just, yeah, I can help you buy or sell this home. Um, obviously, right. we have 40 some thousand realtors and actually... Right. Uh, the total number of realtors in Chicago, including the suburbs, is over 40,000 in and of itself. So it's like Crazy. there's plenty of people that can help you buy or sell a home. And obviously, right. many of them, some of them do that much better than others. But I love right. the uh, always the, you know, the idea that you're also able to say, hey, by the way, you should really, cons and, and, and I, I would love to get your, your perspective on this. Um, a lot of people think their primary residence is an investment. My, my, my thought is maybe it might be, you might get lucky and when you sell it, it might be worth more, but it's not really an investment because it doesn't really produce income for you. I've right. always thought investments should produce, you know, some sort of regular income. Um, but this is where real estate investing comes in. Um, so, uh, but, no, but I would love, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, talking about your, your primary resident being an investment, I bought my first condo in 2004. So I got my first bonus from my trading company, put down 20%, I bought my condo. Fast forward 16 years, it's probably it's probably appreciated. Um, I paid 300,000, I think it's probably worth about 340. So I mean, yeah. you're talking absolutely negligible appreciation in you know 
nearly two decades. So, but I knew that going in because I was living in, I wanted to, I, my company put me up in Streeterville. They put me up in a rental. I got my first bonus. I moved one block. So I liked the area. Yeah. So I knew when I bought it then, even though I didn't know anything about real estate, I knew that that at the time was the highest um, price per square foot in the city and right. buying a one bedroom condo. It's like, how much upside are you going to get? Right. So, but I, but I think so, and that's kind of what I try and explain to people. For your for your primary residence, of course, you shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a bad investment, but you right. shouldn't really look to make any money off it. That that shouldn't. You, it, the way the way I I see it and I would tell someone is, listen, you want to live where you want to live. Now, if you want to, if you're a young person and you say, listen, I can deal with living somewhere I don't want to live to buy a multi-unit with an FHA loan where I just put down a, a little bit as an investment, and then after one year I can. I can move out. That's a little different story, but I didn't really want to go that, that route. And I guess at the time in my early twenties, I didn't even know that was an option. So I think that, that people, you, you can kind of, you, you can take advantage of what, what, what is given to you. So right now we're, we're in a very, you know, interest for FHA loans, you're paying about 3%. So it's insanely right. cheap. And you can, you can put down say, if you can find a four unit building and the FHA limit is 70709, I think it is. And, and you have to put down three and a half percent, you could, in theory, have the seller sell it to you for seven thirty-five, give you twenty twenty-six thousand cash back. Use that as your down payment. You're almost buying it for nothing. The problem is finding those is like finding a unicorn in this right. environment because they haven't raised the FHA rates for you know a decade plus. So the problem you're going to have is, of course, I can find anyone a building like that, but it's not going to have good numbers because it's going to be much. It's not going to be recently rehabbed in a good area with good rents and good numbers. You know, I do find them occasionally, but they're very, very, very hard to come by. Yeah, I, I would love to, to switch gears because I, we talked about this very briefly uh, in your intro and you um, are a very physical person. You've competed uh, you, you know, um, in MMA fights. Can you talk a little bit about the discipline um, that goes yeah. into, you, know, you stepped away entirely from business to pursue these goals. Can you talk a little bit about that? I just find that so no. fascinating. Yeah, for sure. So what happened was, um, I think I always knew at a young age that um, like I came, I came from an English system. I grew up in England. I went to school in England. Coming here, I realized just how good the U.S. sports art, sports systems are. And you know, high school and college in England, unless you're a really, really good soccer player, they have really good programs for you. Maybe a little bit of rugby. The rest sure. of the programs are kind of nonsense. So I was, I played soccer growing up when I was a kid. I wasn't good enough, to, you know, to be the elite level. One of my, one of my good friends uh, played professionally, which was awesome. But I, so. I always dabbled in things, but I, I never really had an outlet. So when I came here, I was trading and it was very intense. And a lot of the people, when you have a job like that with so much intensity, you need some kind of release. So a lot of them went down the path of drinking and drugs and that was their release. Sure. And, I, and I started boxing. So I, I went into this boxing gym and I, there was a lot of you know famous UFC fighters in there. And it was kind of one of the, one of the best jujitsu and boxing gyms in the city at the time. Now there's a lot more. Back then there was, there was only really one. And so... I, I remember I walked in and my, my, my future boxing coach said to me, oh, you got the jaw of a fighter. You should box in the Golden Gloves. And then I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. So I, started, so I started when I was trading. My life was literally just work, work in the trading pit, take, take a nap in the office for a couple of hours because it was a very early start, then go straight to the boxing gym, come home and go to sleep and just rinse and repeat all day. So I did that. I won the Golden Gloves. I had, I had a few disappointments. Wow. I I uh, fought in the, for the state Illinois state title, which I lost. And I, I had, a, had a great boxing career. But I got to the stage where I was like, okay, I'm in my late 20s. I'd been doing jiu-jitsu a little bit. MMA was becoming really popular. And I realized 
I have my whole life to make money, but we have these windows of opportunity that come and go. And I realized I was, I remember I turned 30 and I had a, one thing up, I kind of backtrack on to, for, for advice for new agents is when, if you, if you want to start creating wealth, it's not just about investing, but it's also, you have to be saving money too. And one thing, the reason I became very wealthy in my twenties is because like I said, I bought my condo, my first bonus. I didn't have a car. I didn't have all these crazy expenses. I took a few nice trips. That was my treat, but I wasn't, lavishly spending money. I, I knew people that were, you know, renting, renting these nice cars and going to the clubs with their Lamborghini and getting tables. I, I wasn't into any of that. So as I was making money in my twenties, my, my net worth just kept going up, going up, going up. And then I got to the stage where I was lying in bed one night, I couldn't sleep. And I got up and I was like, man, how much am I actually worth? And I started to look at my trading accounts and my trading seats and all this, the assets I had. And I was like, wow, I'm actually, I'm actually worth quite a lot of money. I'm going to step away. I'd, I'd kind of lost a bit of the passion for, for trading. And I, I already seen the signs. It was becoming harder to make money. And I thought, wow, I'm 30 years old as, as a male athlete. You don't have too long. You probably have, you know, five years. You're seeing people go a little later now, but you know, for me, I was like, I probably got five years. And I thought this is the chance if I want to actually do something. And for my, my big, my big thing that I always live my life by is um, there's a great Les Brown quote. And he talks about, do you want to be that person at your dying bedside with the angels of, of your potential all around you saying like, we came to you, you had all these talents and potential yeah. and you, you wasted us. And it's right. one of my favorite, my favorite speeches. It gives me goosebumps when I hear it. And I've always been driven by that fear. I've been driven by a fear of being this old man yeah. with you know grandkids at my feet and maybe, maybe have a nice house and I have money, but I have these regrets that why didn't I do this when I was 25? Why didn't I do this when I was 30? You know, so I've always been driven by the fear of regrets and, and having to seize opportunity. So that's why I was like, you know what? I've just got to jump in and do this. So it, it was, it was, it was such a great period of my life and it was so hard because a lot of, a lot of people, I think it, you, you look at what it takes to succeed in athletics. I don't think I had any natural um, abilities other than grit and determination. And I think that it, it was a really great period of my life. It was incredibly hard. Um, physically, I just think just, I had this thing in my head. I was like, well, okay, I go to work. I trade all day. I take a nap. I go to the gym. It's like, if I don't have to get up at, at 5.30 AM and go to the trading floor, I'll be able to sleep in. I'll be able to train two, three times a day in between the training sessions. I'm going to be learning Spanish, learning Portuguese, doing all these cool things. You know, I didn't realize that when you're training two, three times a day, you are so zonked. You are just <laughs> trying to nap or like just I don't know, space out for a few hours between sessions. It's so exhausting, but it was such a great period because I remember right at the end, I, I had, um, it, fighting is such a funny thing. It's exciting because there's so many variables. And I remember I never felt like I was performing to my abilities and it was always very frustrating. And I had one fight, it was my penultimate fight. And it, I felt like actually everything came together and I showed my potential and I was very happy. And then I was like, I have one more. And then I was like, okay, now it's time to, you know, close this chapter, but I don't have crazy injuries and brain trauma, you know, it's time to close it. But the one, the one thing I, the one mistake that I made is during those five years is I assumed that when it was done, I could do something in trading and keep making, you know, a lot of money. Right. I didn't realize that it that door of the, while, while I took the door of the, the, um, doing something athletic while I still had the time and youth and energy that the door on the finance on the trading that completely closed. So that was all kind of happening at the same time. Well, I, I bought my building during that time. And that, that was kind of what made the decision. Well, okay. I'm in my mid thirties. What the hell am I going to do now? You know, cause I, I was, I 
probably made every mistake in the book. I was way over leveraged in stocks through the last um, stock correction. And I, the one good thing I guess I did is, is buy that property. But I, I assumed, I'm, I'm very confident. And I know that, I always assume that no matter what I do, I'm going to make money, right? I had that right. in the back of my head. You have to have that confidence. So instead of what I should have done during those five years is say, listen, like, you know, you're dabbling a bit in trading. You're not really making that much money, but I'd got used to a certain, and I just, I'm going to kind of contradict myself. I wasn't big on buying cars and doing all this stuff, but I did have a certain expensive lifestyle while I like taking lavish vacations and things like that. So when you don't work for five years or you don't make too much money, you're, you're, you're spending, you know, a reasonable amount every year, your net worth's taking a hit. And then right at the end, I, I started trading a little bit more online. So I was like, you know, I'm, I kind of want to make some good money. And I was trading uh, grain options and I was having a good year. And I was like, you know what? I had a big position on. I was like, I'm having a good year, but I kind of want to have a great year. I want to make more than I've spent the last five years. and I want to crush it. And I put a big position on and I thought I was right. And I lost every day for two weeks straight. So 10 oh. trading days. It went against me, went against me, went against me. And I finally got to the stage where I woke up and I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose everything if I keep this position, even though I think I'm right. They, they call it, in trading, they say the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And that's exactly what happened. If I woke up and I said, if it turns against me today, I'm going to get out of everything. The first five minutes of trading, it went against me. I got out of everything and then 10 minutes later it reversed and I would have made, you know, a million bucks. So it was, oh. that was, that was a very frustrating and painful experience. And uh, that's, and, and since then I'm like, you know what, I just kind of what we were talking about. I, I don't want that volatility in my life. You know, I want to have, I want to have, I'm not impressed by, if someone says, Hey, I've got this idea, Lawrence, you can make a hundred thousand. That doesn't impress me as much as someone that says, Hey, you can do something. It's going to make you a thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life. Right. So that's when I when I realized that you know that's why for me at that age and with my personality, I, I realized that the real estate model is a hundred percent something I want to work on. So all, all these things we're talking about, they're all kind of linked. Um, but I really think the the lessons from from that story to anyone listening is you have to take opportunities. So for instance, what I try and tell my uh, one of my partners that I work with a lot, John, is business is good right now. You know, we've had, like we said, 10 years of uh, low interest rates, stable, uh, the, the economy's they're creeping up, you know, everything's nice and stable. People are doing things. People feel wealthy because of the, the, the pensions and everything's up. So I said, you've got to, you've got to be absolutely crushing it and hustling now because when times are bad, it's going to be, you know, four times as hard to make the business. So I think with that story, a couple of things that I guess lessons that I learned that hopefully people won't make the same mistakes as me is, you can't, it doesn't matter how good your one revenue stream is, one revenue stream is not enough because life can always get in the way and, and, and change. You can be making, you know, half a million dollars a year from one revenue stream. You, I think the statistic is the average multimillionaire has seven different streams of income. And I think that you should definitely, definitely add a few more streams to that, to that, uh, that one revenue stream. And the other thing is you just have to take opportunity for when, when you have it. You know, if, if, uh, if, if me as an investor, as a buyer, if there's no inventory that I like with, with the wrong returns, I'm just going to sit and wait. Maybe I have to wait six months or five years. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not just going to force it on the same token right now, you know, interest rates are so low. If banks would give me these loans, I would take $10 million of debt today and I would invest, you know, cause it's, it's for me, it's free money. So I think right. that's, that's the one lesson I, I took from that, I guess. 
take take opportunities when you have it make uh, make hay while the sun shines right exactly um, yeah so so i want to talk about the discipline that it's it's take you know that that you have um, demonstrated throughout your entire career right you started a company very young you know you had your yes. mba so, so you had the knowledge but uh, obviously with mma and, and and other types of physical activity boxing discipline is everything uh, right. along with business as well can you talk mm. about what it takes to be successful as a realtor yes. uh, discipline wise yeah i think i think the first thing is you have to manage ex- expectations so i remember when i first um i had some friends and mo was one of them but some friends talking about gary v and i found him a little bit annoying i didn't really know too much about him but well, the way well he, he is on, a little bit annoying but well, he's also but, very <laughs> smart and he knows well, but, what he's talking about <laughs> but i recently a, f- a few months ago i think i put on my on my instagram i, I put a podcast with him and a rich roll who's an ultra marathon runner and yeah. i i listen to it now a bit older than when, when i first um heard him and a, a bit more mature i guess and he resonated so much with me because everything he was saying he was just saying you know everybody complains and i guess we live in an era where you can you you, you pull up you, you do a hashtag everyone's got a voice yeah. exactly but also yeah. i feel like everybody's out there pushing the best self and their, their image and sure. and what yeah. he said is he said listen not everybody can build a million dollar company only a few percent because it takes yeah. a lot of work and he said all the, the, the my, my big pet peeve is someone that isn't happy with their situation they want a certain amount of income or a certain amount of lifestyle but they don't want to do the work that it takes to get there right. and i think and i think that my, one of my one of my rules that I live with, um, and I think I think it was from Tony Robbins or, or somebody like that, but he said we always overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate right. what we can do in in a decade. And I think that's any any success I have, I would say it's the same thing. You know, I didn't win the Golden Gloves my first year. It took me three years, three years and three attempts to win. I didn't. I wasn't a top agent in my first year. It took me my third year in real estate. And I think that's something, it, it applies to sport, it applies to business, it applies to almost anything, even, even relationships. I'm, you know, I got married a year and a half ago. I think I'm a better husband now than I was you know, when we were dating because I've learned to be a better partner, to, to communicate better, all these little things that would go into a, into a positive relationship. So I think that the big, if, you're, if our audience is, is mainly in real estate, I would say you have to be... Um, a long-term thinker. You have to. You have to have a, a horizon where I get these new agents, and there was one that just joined our company, a really, really nice young young kid, very enthusiastic. He he could be wonderful, but he's there telling Mo when he's doing his training. He's like, "Hey, I want to be like Lawrence," and it's like, "Well, Lawrence didn't just start his first year in real estate and was selling million-dollar uh, investment properties. You know, it took time to." So I would say, you have to you have to play the long game in 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 business for sure for success, and then talking about the the discipline, I think it's, it's, it's habits and consistency. So you, you have to always, you, you always have to have the goal and the dream, right? Pe- people are very big on, you know, in, in, I want to sell $10 million in, in 12 months. And then they say, okay, I break that down. So that's, that's a little, a little under a million dollars a month, but that's just, that's the, that's the dream. In order to get there, you're right. going to be just every single day, you're doing the right things, the right habits, the right consistency. And I think, I think the best advice that I would give, I think is relationships because it, not just with your, like it's when I, when I deal with on the other side of a transaction with a professional broker, it's such a pleasure. We're, we're both on top of it. It's just a seamless, smooth transaction. And when you deal with people that don't really know what they're doing and it's, it's like pulling teeth. And I think it's the same with people. Like do you, if I'm buying a house, 
do I want to work with a broker who's a pleasure to be around? He's knowledgeable. He's responsive. He's on top of it. Or do I want to be with a, with a guy who I'm chasing him so he can get my commission? So I think, and, and th this is such small, easy things. Um, and I, I'm a big believer in work hard, play hard. So I'm not trying to say don't have a life, but you have to have certain systems in place. So for instance, I was um, with my wife, I had, I had surgery on my elbow a couple of weeks ago and I couldn't do, do much. So I took a 10 day vacation to the Maldives with my wife and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm one of my good friends is, is doing a sell by and he's selling his building. And he was, he was texting me and he's like, Lawrence, how are you more responsive than the, the selling attorney who's skiing in Vail? He's like, you're in the middle of the Indian Ocean. You know, I, ha I had terrible service. I'm on, I'm on some crappy hotel Wi-Fi. And he says, it, 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 was, it was a good reminder that, you know, you don't want to, you, you definitely need to take breaks from technology, break from your, breaks from your phone, break, breaks from work. But also you have to have certain habits. So whether it's first thing in the morning and then you have a couple of different times, 2 p.m., 5 p.m., and then evening before sleep or whatever it is, you have to just stay consistent, whether it's, you know, checking in with people, you know, replying to emails, doing your searches, just, just even just education. I think that's a huge thing. I think consistency in education. I know that when I, before I was in real estate, I was a huge reader. And the first couple of years in real estate, I was so busy running around the city, trying to learn the business. Take, I would take horrendous leads because I just wanted to be, I just wanted to learn the business. I wanted to be out there learning. And I was actually dating a girl at the time who had been in real estate for a long time. She was very lazy and she had all these just crappy rental leads. And she's like, I don't want this, this. I said, I'll take it all. I took hundreds and hundreds of rental leads. I drove all around the city because I wanted to know the city well. I wanted to know the business well. I wanted to be around people. I wanted to be busy. I wanted to be engaged. And during that time, I didn't have, I didn't read, read I, there was a few years where I really didn't read much. I didn't learn much on, on that side of things. I was just so focused on, on the practical um, aspect of being a new broker. And I think my happiness went down hugely. So I think always, always putting time to improve yourself, to learn. I, for me personally, it makes me a happier person, but it also makes you just much more knowledgeable person to be around. And too many people focus on, what you're going to get. So I, I laugh, I get on LinkedIn, I probably get three or four messages a week, almost one a day now. And it's, it's somebody like, Hey, I really want you to give me business to do this. When can we meet for a coffee or when can we have a 50 minute? Oh, our, I, I get like, those coffee messages every yeah, day. It drives me crazy. I'm like, I don't know you. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. that what's, what's so funny about that is what are they doing? They're focusing on what they can get from me. They're offering right. no value. So I, most of the time I, I don't even have time to re respond. Whereas if I had, a, say, 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 um, say it was a lender and he sent me a message and he said, Hey, I have a, I have a, a guy who wants to buy a multi-unit. I think he's a, he's a, he's a pre-qualified client. He's great. Can you help him? And, and he buys a, an $800,000 investment property. How much business am I going to give that guy back? I'm going to give you would, him 10 you times be, the business back. Yeah. You'd be forever indebted to that broker. Exactly. And, and exactly. And he would get so much business from me. So, I th and I think that's the same with everything. It's like when I'm, when I'm with a client, I've had relationships where, you know, with, I've worked with some builders where maybe, maybe it was 12 months, 18 months. I didn't make a single dollar. I, I did quite a lot for them, but when it comes around that I'm going to be their broker for the foreseeable future. And I, and I think that's the, it's the, again, coming back to that playing the long game is you have to, you have to develop the relationships that are going to make you the money later on. And you've got to focus on what you're giving as opposed to, Hey, what buildings can I sell for you? Well, do you know what you're doing? Oh, not really. You know, like, I think that that's something, I think that's something we see. We see a lot in the, in our business, but also I think it's, you know, 2020, that's the culture, right? It's like, I, I want to get up here, but I'm only down here and I don't want to do all the steps. I just want to jump to the top. So I think tr trying to rush the process, it, it doesn't help you either. 
Yeah, it's it's always about discipline. So even like your example, I think, which is a good one, which a lot of times realtors get into the business, they're new, they say, okay, 10 million a year in, you know, in my, let's say my second year, my first year, whatever, seems reasonable. If you break it down to a million a month, that's a couple of two to three clients a month. That seems like reasonable. Mm-hmm. The problem is, um, th- then the question is, okay, that's not really the, the goal. That's the result. So like yeah, the goal exactly. is, okay, how many people do I need to meet today so that in three months I might have one client, right? And maybe it's, I need to meet five people every single day or whatever that number is. And if you just drill down to like one or two metrics that you can do on a daily basis, pretty much everything else should take care of itself. Um, but sure. it's realizing every day, wake up, look, I'm sure the same thing with, with uh, the different sports that you've been involved in. It, it's a certain amount of practice that you just have to do. And then hopefully come, come game time or match time, you can just go into autopilot. But it's all the push-ups. It's all of the, the boring uh, daily it, activities that win the game, right? Exactly. I think that's so, so, so great. You picked up on that. Um, there's a really great analogy that I read recently. And it's, it says, if you're, if you're taken off from LA and you point the nose of the uh, 747 six degrees to the right, by the time you land on the East Coast, that's going to make the difference between landing in New York or in Washington. And I love that. And, and, and what he's saying is, here's the thing. If you... If you I'm a I'm a pretty healthy person. Maybe maybe I'm I'm trying to train for a marathon in six weeks, which I actually am. I can wow. skip, I can skip my I can skip my run today because I can run tomorrow. That one run isn't going to make any difference. But if you do that every day, I'm not going to be able to run. And it's I think that's that's such an important point you just said is though it, it, same thing if, if you're trying to lose weight and you you know you know you go out and you have absolute you you pig out you get drunk and have a, have a big night. That's not going to make you, you're going to wake up the next day. You're probably going to look pretty much the same if you take off your shirt and look in the mirror. But if you keep doing those actions, it, that's, that's the key. So I think the way, the way to summarize it is if you're doing the right actions, time becomes your ally. As you, as you move towards your goal, time is helping you get there. And if you do the wrong actions, time is going to become your enemy. And I think that's such a, you, you picked up on that hundred percent that applies to almost everything in life, right? It's like that the one action today is not going to make or break you, but it's that done repeatedly. That's going to be the difference between a winner and a loser. And by the way, it really does apply to everything. And this idea of checking in or measuring on a daily basis is so important. And it doesn't mean you have to be super anal and and judge yourself every day, but you do need even like relationships are are a more abstract example. If I, and this is not the most romantic thing that anyone would want to hear, but the truth is if I don't sit and think, how am I doing in my relationship? When's the last time I told my girlfriend how beautiful she is? When's the last time I did something really nice for her? Um, You know, and Again, I would love it if those things just came to me every single day naturally and I never had to think about it. But the truth is just like anything else, you know, I have to remind myself, I have to, I have to have daily activities so that you're right. Will my girlfriend notice for if three straight days, I don't mention how beautiful she is. Probably not. Who knows? Maybe she would, but I know that it's important and I want to do those things for her, but I better be checking in with myself and know, Hey, it's time for me to say something really nice. Uh, And again, maybe that's not the best example, but it it sort of is because you actually, no, I I think that, no, I think that is the perfect example because what you're, you know, like it's it's exactly the same. Check being a good um, you know boyfriend or husband one day to the next is not going to make or break a relationship, but over time it a hundred percent will. And I think that's it's. I'm sure there was a book. There's a book or something like the Power of Small Changes or something that talks about this. I read a long time ago, and I think it's so true. It's like 
what, what you do today does matter and it's compounded every day. And I think, but, but in order back to the discipline thing, I think that motivation comes and goes. And oh, that's yeah. why, that's why you have to, like, I'm really big on, I love listening to Les Brown's my favorite, but I love, like, I'll sometimes put on one of those 30 minute motivational, you know, with some music and some different mo- motivational speakers talking and I'll go for a run and it's like a slow recovery run at the end of the day. And I'm just letting my, letting my mind kind of clear. And I'm, you're basically filling up your brain with just positivity, motivation, inspiration, all these things. That's great. But the problem is we, we, uh, we, you know, you all have days where you wake up, your body's sore, you don't want to go to the gym. You wake up, you got a headache, you don't want to talk to 10 clients. So what gets you through those days is just having your big picture goal and just making it, I wouldn't even say it's discipline. I would say it's, it's, it's a conscious choice you make. This is my lifestyle. And I think they, they talk about that where um, you, you have to have the, so if you want to be a top agent, for example, to bring it back to real estate, you have the image of yourself as a top agent. Well, how does a top agent act? Well, he, you know, he, he looks good when he goes to showings, he conducts himself in a professional way. He's responsive. He gets back to people. He's knowledgeable. He knows what he's doing. So if you have that image of you as that person, you're going to do all the things you need to do it. Likewise, if you're, if you're an athlete and you see yourself as a champion, what does a champion do? Well, he gets his sleep. He gets his massages. He eats well. He goes to the gym when he does. Of course, there's going to be days where if you're sick or injured, you're going to have to take a break. But aside from that, you don't even think about it. If I wake up tomorrow, I teach jujitsu on Wednesdays. If I wake up tomorrow, my back's sore and I've got a headache. I'm not even thinking about not going to jujitsu. It's, it's, it's going to happen. You, know, you don't even give yourself a choice. And I think that's a really right. key point is if something is important enough to you, um, so, so you actually really want it, you have to make it an unconscious choice. Otherwise, we all have... Um, we all have that little voice inside us like, Oh, you know, you're tired. Why don't you skip today? And I, it's, I remember, I remember talking to talking to an old friend years ago and he said to me, Oh, it's all right for you. You know, it, it, you, you're, you're lucky. It's easy for you to do these things. And I was like, what? Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm Crazy? sure you, it's not easy for you at all. <laughs> of course, it's not easy for anybody. Exactly. Yeah. And I was so happy. I remember when, back when I was boxing, when I was in my twenties and I, every morning that I knew I had a boxing match in the evening, every single time, I would say, why am I doing this? Like, I'm not getting paid for this. I got a good career. Like, why am I putting myself in this position every single time? And I remember years later, um, I was watching like some, I think it was George St. Pierre, the UFC champion at my weight, welterweight. And he's, he was joking. He said he was going to the arena for his fight. And he said, man, I wish there was some kind of crazy electrical out, um, power outage. The whole stadium was shut down and they canceled the fight. And I thought, wow, so it's not just me. Every single champion, every single person has to overcome this. You, you don't want to do these hard things. It's, it's, it's ingrained in our DNA, right? We, we have something. We, we all are here today because you know our ancestors survived. And there's something in survival where it's that natural thing where if you don't have to do it, why are you doing it? So we have to overcome this innate laziness. And I think that it's uh, you know, the habits, the discipline, all that stuff. That's it. But it, it's not, you know, uh, the David Goggins has become very famous recently. He's, he's, he's really big on, you know, mo- motivational Instagram and everything. And one thing I really like about him is he says, there is no finish line. And I think that's so true. I have a friend of mine, I was complaining about something. I think just before my elbow surgery, I'm complaining to one of my good friends, Brad, who does jujitsu with me and he's an investor and a good friend of mine. And, he, and I was like, oh, it sucks. You know, I'm getting old, getting these surgeries. I'm 40, 41 in a few weeks. And he says to me, he said, yeah, but it's, you're fine. Like you can sit in your office and you, I've got some, some, some framed pictures and some medals and trophies and you know, memorabilia from two decades in those sports. And he's like, you, you've achieved so much. It must be so awesome. And I'm, I'm thinking, but once, 
it, yeah, it, who, once yeah. you achieved it, I yeah. want to keep going. You know, I, I, right. I don't want to sit on my laurels and rest. And that's actually something I'm very passionate about is just happiness, positive psychology. And, and because ultimately, why do you want to be a top agent to a new agent? He thinks if he, if he sells $10 million a year, he makes a 250,000 commission. He's going to, that's going to give him a lifestyle for him to be happy. I will you know? finally be happy when I yes. achieve X. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's so like, so almost all the decisions we make in life, we're trying to, we think we're doing them, you know, to, to give us happiness. So I think for me, um, you have to be, you, no, no high achiever is ever going to be where they want to be in life. Okay, guys, sorry about that. We lost uh, Lawrence. We got disconnected and we're going to schedule a part two because he's so great and it's so much value to bring to the audience that we're going to get him back on the show. So sorry for the abrupt ending here, but we Lawrence and I wanted to thank everyone for listening. We're excited to have him back in a future episode for a part two. Uh, for now, we say thank you. And also we want to remind everyone to follow us on Facebook. Go visit us at facebook.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And please tell a friend, think of one other real estate professional that could benefit from hearing this great interview you just heard uh, from Lawrence and tell them about our show. Have them visit our website, keepingitrealpod.com and subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere podcasts are served, you'll find our podcast. Thanks again uh, on behalf of Lawrence and myself. And we're going to get Lawrence right back on the show. Thanks guys. Stay safe.